Aloha, you're listening to Abe's Ukulele Podcast. I'm your host, Abe. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today's guest is Jenny Peters, one half of the Ukulele Sisters team. After stumbling upon 45 ukuleles in one of her elementary classrooms, she designed a program to teach her students to play with only 30 minutes once a week. She is a former private piano teacher living in the Chicago area of the United States, with a master's degree in piano performance. Jenny and her sister Rebecca have written many ukulele books, including the Amazon number one bestseller, 21 Easy Ukulele Songs for Christmas, and the more in-depth series for classroom teachers titled Ukulele for All. This episode was recorded back in July of 2019 over the phone. We covered a lot, so let's jump right in. I have here on the phone Jenny Peters, the author of these fantastic books. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you, Abe. So um, it's really great to talk to you. Um, I'm really excited because uh, you put out a lot of ukulele books. And um, I have to be honest, every time I go onto Amazon, I see them recommended to me constantly. I can be not even looking for ukulele things, and I'll still see them. So um, I finally got some. Thank you very much. Uh, they're wonderful books. I was wondering if you could talk about like what what made you start these books and what is what's the big deal with them? Why are they why does it seem like they're everywhere? Well, I'm not sure why they're everywhere and that's probably an algorithm from Amazon and that's awesome. But I originally came to the ukulele probably in about 2011 or so because I was teaching general music in an elementary school. And I, my district had suffered some budget cuts, and so suddenly I found my job doubled to where I was teaching five grade levels of orchestra, three grade levels of general music, and a section of PE. In addition wow. to that, yeah, it was a lot. In addition to that, um, we, in order to keep the band and orchestra programs in the district, we made them, the specials classes were a class and a half. So I had mm-hmm. 45 students for 30 minutes once a week. And they all wanted to play ukulele because there was ukuleles in the classroom hanging on the wall. That was there from the previous teacher. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll just learn ukulele and then I'll teach it to them. And because I had background in piano violin, I didn't find the changing of the chords or holding a string instrument to be at all difficult. But what I did find difficult was strumming. So then I went and took a class at in Hawaiian ukulele at the Old Town School of Folk Music here in Chicago. And I learned a lot about strumming. And I and still those songs would have been too hard for my students because I wanted songs where they could sing and where they could focus on keeping a steady beat, being together, and not have to worry about changing chords. So I thought and thought thought about it. I spoke with my teacher. I thought about the kinds of songs we teach in general music, how so many of them are rounds. And it occurred to me that if I taught the students how to sing rounds, and then strum chords and taught them various strumming patterns. They would sound really good, and they would learn a lot about music. They'd learn about the beat. They'd learn about the difference between melody and harmony. They'd learn about the difference between rhythm and beat because your strumming pattern is usually on a beat where your voice will be going at a different tempo, and coordinating that is plenty for fourth graders without having to worry about changing chords. 
So I combined my background in Suzuki violin pedagogy with what I had learned about the ukulele from my own studies. I used familiar folk tunes, and I had students learn mostly by imitating. I also found that if I provided videos, the students could learn by watching me on the video, and then I could walk around the room and help kids that were struggling. Hmm. Later that summer, I was so excited about this new method that I shared it with my sister, Rebecca, and we decided to team up and bring our way of teaching to folks who were outside the classroom. She found, because her background was in flute, that the left hand was trickier than I found, so she was very helpful in helping us to figure out pedagogy that would work for everybody. We found out that between us, we have over 70 years of combined teaching experience Whoa. for learners from age 3 to 93, because I'd done really young kids, and I'd done older, older people as well, and so had she. Both of us have master's degrees in piano, but we played violin and flute when we were growing up. I have a double major that included violin. Uh, before I came into this, I had taught lessons in community college and various music schools. Um, and I've also played, a comp- I do a lot of collaborative piano still. So I will play, I'll accompany students. And one of the most famous people I ever played for was Yo-Yo Ma. I didn't, I didn't play for Yo-Yo Ma. Yo-Yo Ma was the clinician and I accompanied two cellists who played for him. So I've done all kinds of really cool things with music, but what I love about ukulele is that it's relatively easy to start, difficult to master, as is any instrument, but it's a way of sharing the joy I've had my whole life with music with everyone and that everyone can learn it. And it's just been a, it brings the joy back into learning, and that's one of the things I really love about it. Wow, that's actually pretty awesome. So you come from piano and violin, so you kind of have all of the musical theory chops. In terms right. of the the ukulele, it was kind of like, it seems like a perfect situation that you found yourself in. You were just thrown into this classroom, probably far too many kids that I would be <laughs> willing to teach at one oh, time. Kids, yeah. But um, yeah, you had enough instruments for all of them, and I thought it was amazing that they kind of pushed you to do that. That's like kind of like the ideal teacher story where you you have to learn from the students immediately and then yeah. you also had to learn for them. How did your um how did your Suzuki training come into play like in terms of developing that pedagogy? Well with Suzuki there's several things to it. I mean Dr. Suzuki's book is called Nurtured by Love and his whole theory is This wouldn't apply in the schools necessarily because he has a parent-teacher-child triangle. And when you're teaching 45 children in a general music class, their parents are just happy that they're at school and not Mm -hmm. burning it down, basically. (laughs) But there is is the – one of the things that he talked about a lot was that we learn to speak before we learn to read. And Mm -hmm. that all children – he was recovering from a serious illness. During World War II, he gave his rations of food to his nieces and nephews. And so he was malnourished and he was recovering at the end of the war. And because he was malnourished, he had a long convalescence. And he got to watch his nieces and and nephews learn to speak Japanese. And he came up with the idea, all Japanese children speak Japanese. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah. But the point of it was that children learn through imitation. Children learn um, to do it first, and then we learn to read it. And so 
it occurred to me that obviously I want my students to be able to have some music literacy, but I also want them to have success with the actual experience of music first, and then I want them to be able to read it. And so there's a lot of imitation that occurs in Suzuki. There's a lot of listening. And so I found that if I played a video of how the song went, and then we would put like the lyrics below and we'd put the um, chord shapes on the side, then the students could hear and they could understand how the song went and they could start to follow it. And then later I could teach them how to read the chord stamps or how to read tab or, or how to read the chord letters on top of the um of the lyrics. I also, in the school, used a lot of color coding. So if it was a C chord, I color coded the lyrics red. If it was an F chord, I color coded them blue, which I found out later was the color of the harp strings. <laughs> so there was just a lot of ways that that I did it that were not traditional musical notation. And that was kind of how the Suzuki ideas came in, was using folk songs and using imitation. Wow. Oh, that's great. Um, when I was in college, we focused a lot on the Gordon method, which is kind of okay. like, it's very similar. Actually, my when I learned how to read, also was a similar, um, what was it? It was called phonograms, I believe. But this idea that you speak before you do anything else. So I love that idea of um, getting the kids to play the music and just copy people and imitate like children do before they actually ever look at notes or, um, <laughs> you know, read off the paper. So that's awesome. I mean, they would read the lyrics, but yeah, they're fourth graders. They know how to do that. We've been, they've been taught how to read mm -hmm. English. Exactly. Hopefully they in just, fourth grade they can read. <laughs> yeah, one would hope. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it seems kind of, I mean, obviously you want music literacy, but I read somewhere online that in order to be completely fluent at sight reading on an instrument, you have to play it for five years. You're not mm -hmm. going to develop fluency in your sight reading unless mm -hmm. you play for quite a length of time. And certainly if we start teaching children to read in kindergarten or first grade, we're certainly hoping they're fluent readers by fourth and fifth grade, but we're not expecting fluency mm -hmm. in reading in first and second grade. So why would we expect the first time we tell them what a quarter note is that they're going to be able to figure that out? I mean, they need to have experience with it. And it was sort of the idea of teach music literacy as needed. And then when you get the music, then you're going to remember what these symbols mean and why they're important instead of memorize all these symbols and then maybe learn to play a song. Especially mm -hmm. when you have that many students for that short of a period of time. Mm. Yeah, you've said uh, 30 minutes is usually the the class size that you're dealing with? Yeah, this was this was a while ago. Then after that, it got better. So I had them for 30 minutes or twice a week. And the oh, class okay. sizes came to about 25. But it was that one year that it was 30 students, uh, 45 students for 30 minutes once a week. And just even the management of that many children. But there was no way I was going to sit there and concentrate on reading. We also couldn't do a lot of movement mm -hmm. and because the space was small. And not all kids like to sing, but they all like to play instruments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I have not seen, I mean, especially if it's like drumming, I have not seen right. a kid that will just deny <laughs> getting their hands on something and, you know, just being active. That's great. Oh, yeah. All love that. They just love that. It's something kinesthetic. It's so important in education. There's very few, well, there's few, not enough things that we do in ed education that are kinesthetic or something where you actually use your 
hands or use your body. I mean, physical education does that, and music can when you're playing instruments. And for, I think, particularly for kids who might struggle with ADHD or with, you know, staying focused and staying still, playing an instrument is such an awesome way to engage all that energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of my colleagues calls it whole brain learning, where yeah. you just get as many different learning styles as possible. I've heard some people don't really believe in learning styles, but if you can take in information in many different ways, it just it just sticks more. And I see that with my own students. Um, I love what you said about the quarter notes. Yeah, <laughs> it took me a long time to remember exactly what a quarter note was. Even I knew what it was when I saw it, you know, um, I could play it too. But then even certain rests and th- certain other symbols, people ask me, what is that? And it's like, uh, I don't, I can't always remember it. Um, and I, you know, I went to school for music education, but I, I know how it's supposed to be played. I know how you sing it. Um, just the experience of it is so much better. So um, yeah. you're talking about Definitely. music literacy. Something I really care about, especially with the ukulele, is using it to teach music literacy, especially in recreating the band and the orchestra experience that a lot of people get in school. Uh, something I didn't get until I was actually in college. But um, for your easy books and also this other book I want to talk about, Ukulele for All, uh, coming from your Suzuki background and where it seems like you're taking your students, I was wondering if you talk about what the goals are for your book, Ukulele for All. Well, Ukulele for All was designed for classroom teachers because mm-hmm. in a classroom, you have students of all different levels. You have students who get it right away and students who don't. So when I first was teaching uh, when I did those three grade levels of general music, in third grade, we did recorder. Fourth grade, I did a lot of sing and strum with ukulele. And then in fifth grade, I um, would add reading the tab and playing the melody. Oh, in okay. my school district, we have a lot of students who move in and out. And we have a high mobility rate and we're and we have a high uh, free and reduced lunch rate. Our PTO was extremely helpful in purchasing enough ukulele so we could have one per kid. But if you have somebody who moves in uh, halfway through fifth grade and everybody else has had a year and a half on this instrument and they don't know anything at all, Mm -hmm. they will very quickly become a behavior problem if you don't. (laughs) Yes, they will. (laughs) So um, what I would do is I would say, you know, that let's say you're taking the song, uh, I'll just uh, seasons. That's the first song in the second chapter, I think. It's in A minor, is the one I wrote. And so let's say you're taking the song Seasons. It's around in A minor. So if you're uh, a new person that's moved in, you know, I'll probably just take you aside and show you how to play an A minor chord, and I'll show you how to strum all downs on a steady beat. I'll say, that's how you pass this song. You just have to sing the lyrics or speak them, because some kids refuse to sing. But you have to speak the lyrics because just strumming is not a song. And you mm-hmm. have to strum all down. And so that kid will do that. Then uh, kids who played the previous year or who have been in orchestra experience or who take piano lessons will say, nope, for you, you get to play the melody. And so then, you know, I'd give everybody their various parts. And with ukulele for all, you can choose, you know, whether you're going to sing and strum or whether you're going to pick the melody. 
And then what we would do is we would create arrangements. So we might, and I, I did want the kids to quote unquote pass the song. And so I would divide the groups into in the classroom into groups of four students and each group had to perform the song. And then if they got it correct, they each got to put their a sticker by their name on a chart. And then they were working to uh, finish a certain number of songs or whatever. So um, I would say you guys can either choose to sing the song and everybody strum, or you could choose to have a couple of you strum and a couple of you play the melody. You can create your own arrangement, or you might have a verse song and then a verse uh, instrumental and then another verse song, and, or you could sing around or you could play around. So I, I allow the students to kind of figure out how they wanted to do it, and then they would perform it, and if they passed it, they'd put their sticker by their name. And so the whole point was that the book was designed with various levels in mind, because in a well, in any classroom, you need to differentiate. I mean, you mm-hmm. have kids who get math and you have kids who don't, and you don't hold everybody at the same level. That's not fair to anyone. And you don't try to move everybody along while losing the kids who aren't getting it and the ones who are getting it, having them be very bored. So in music, it's the same kind of thing. You want to give people what they can do and how more advanced they can become. And so that was the reason why, why all the songs in if you go to the IPS, which is a way of um, hearing, of seeing on a video how to learn the song, they all songs have a song, sing and strum version, and all songs have a play the melody version. And there's also accompaniments that you can play along with, and you can download the IPS, which is the um, it used, we used to give out CDs or DVDs, but this is the sound system that comes along, and kids can perhaps put it on like an iPad if they have it or a tablet. We don't use phones in school anymore because kids mm-hmm. uh, do too many weird things with them. But if you have a phone at home, you can play the accompaniment and then you can practice the song that you're learning with the accompaniment. And that gives you a sense of the beat. That's awesome. So you got the differentiation built right in. That's great. That was, yeah, because that was my experience. Because I then had a few years after that, because I also teach in a middle school. I had the opportunity to use ukulele for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Mm. And I found that uh, when I had a boy in my class who'd been playing guitar since he was four years old, that the only way to keep him interested was to provide the tab versions for all the songs. And Ah. then he would, yeah. And and otherwise, it was just too easy and too bored. And And I also had kids in there who hadn't played an instrument at all since fourth grade when they had ukulele and general music and then I had kids who were stars in the band and orchestra. Mm-hmm. So when you have that m- much difference of levels it's important to have different things for them to do. Yeah. You said that that boy who played guitar when he was four he had to read tabs only? Oh, he could read music. But the oh, tab okay. Was there. okay. He, I was yeah, going to say. Was fine, but it was just fun for him to, mm-hmm. because he played guitar more than ukulele. So he was making a transposition in his head. Yeah, yeah. It just kept him interested. Mm. Another thing you could probably do if you had the resources is get him an, uh, get him a baritone ukulele. Um, then the notes would be the same, but that's cool. I like that idea of a kid who who might seem like he knows what's up, and then all of a sudden he gets this new thing like, oh, it's different. Well, he, yeah, he <laughs> was a super kid, but he really he just really enjoyed it. And then mm. I had another boy who played drums. Mm. And... He he um, was in band, but he didn't really read music all that well. But he played drum kit, mm-hmm. and he would get back in the back of the room and provide a, an accompaniment on the drums. Oh, we okay. 
And that wasn't too loud? No, he played really soft. He oh, learned that's how to good. Do he was a very fine musician. Nice. He just really had a wonderful sense of, of listening. Mm-hmm. And then I've had kids who play uh, string bass, mm-hmm. and I'd have them get the bass and add a bass line. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, we had an ukulele bass for a little while. Um, it was pretty cool to have that in the ensemble. Oh, yeah, you had you had that ukulele bass. An ensemble is awesome. Mm-hmm. Brings everybody together. Yeah, that's great that you have a. Uh, you've had such great listeners. That's like one of the, the toughest skills I find to teach kids, especially when it comes to drums. Because once they start, it's very easy to just get lost. <laughs> oh, drums is hard that way. But I've been very fortunate. I've had, I've had lots of kids. I actually because I also teach orchestra in school, and. I have had drummers in my orchestra for about the past six years, and they're all really fine musicians who want to play pop music with the orchestra, and they learn a part on the drum kit and play it. Mm, that's great. Uh, one thing we did um, with my students, I believe it was fifth grade, um, we had half the kids flip their ukuleles over in their laps and use them like bongos. Um, so that's oh, something cool. That's something you could do. They got to be a little gentle with them. Some of the kids get carried away, but... it works just fine um it's a little bit quieter too and that way we can have like a you know an ensemble like six of them or something like that um yeah no that's cool i mean that's what's so wonderful about ukulele is that it's affordable Mm -hmm. it's relatively easy to get into it and you can do things with it that in with another instrument be three or four years but with like my kiddos usually when i did ukulele consistently by the time we were Probably most of the way through the fourth grade, we would get to three chords, C, F, and G7, and mm-hmm. I would start teaching them the blues. Mm. And then I would teach them a modified blues scale, and they would improvise over the blues. That awesome. was incredible. That's great. So I see that um, the blues are in your ukulele for all book, chapter seven. And um, yeah. I was wondering, after somebody gets through this ukulele for all book, what are they ready to do? Because it's quite, um, it seems like it covers pretty much every basic um, concept and skill that you would want um, your students to know. So what, do you, what is your vision and plan for students after they do ukulele for all? Um, I haven't totally decided on that. One of the things I'm thinking about is creating some music for ukulele orchestra mm. where I have um, to, where I would have like an ukulele bass part, I would have a strum only part, and mm-hmm. I would have an ukulele one and an ukulele two and some lyrics, and so creating some ensembles that way. Oh, that sounds awesome. I know there's a few uh, getting created more and more. Um, yeah, it's interesting, that whole ukulele ensemble or orchestra thing. Um, I yeah. just think it's so awesome because, you know, I would love to play violin and trumpet and whatever, but... The ukulele, just the level of accessibility, it, it's like it can't be beat. No, you can't beat it. And you can get in, well, you just can get into cool stuff so soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so where do you find yourself teaching most often? Is it in the classroom or um, do you find yourself working more on uh, this pedagogy or uh, maybe you'll end up spending more time with these ensemble pieces in the future? Yeah, I, right now I'm spending most of my time on pedagogy and on writing new books. So 
we came out with the 21 Easy Ukulele Folk Songs in February. We're working on 21 Easy Ukulele Hymns. So oh, a lot okay. of our, Yeah, have, you know, that are not in the schools have been interested in hymns. So we've come up with hymns that you can sing and play in church. The idea being that perhaps one, I, I saw an ukulele group that was at a Presbyterian minister's conference and they had people from the ages of eight to 80. So they had grandparents playing with their grandchildren. Oh, that's and awesome. They were leading the congregation in joyous hymns. And so um, some of our fans indicated that they go to a lot of um, workshops in the summer for, for religious music and that having a book of ukulele hymns would be really helpful. So that's the next thing that's coming out. I see uh, that possibly reaching to people in churches and also homeschoolers mm-hmm. who are from a, that kind of a background. So that's one of the things that we're kind of working on. I do Facebook Lives every week, so I have a group of people. Actually, I, we put up a new YouTube video each week, and then we send sheet music to people who are on our mailing list. And so you sign up, and you get a new song emailed to you. And then I do a Facebook Live each week that teaches that um song in more detail. So this past week I did God Bless America and one of somebody had written to me that they were really struggling with mastering the B flat chord. So I spent a lot of time mm. on the live lesson showing people how to different ways of practicing the B flat chord to get um, more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I also teach in area music stores. I have some classes that I do regularly there. And next year I'm starting an ukulele club at one of, at the elementary school I teach at after school. Oh, that's great. Yeah, my, that B flat chord still gives me shivers. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, I can I can play it just fine now, but ooh, yes, when it comes up in my students, it's like I I feel so much pain for you. I'm sorry. Just keep going. Yeah, just is- just press your hands harder. Just, you know, just do this, do that and still with some of them it's like, "No, can I just play B flat major 7?" I'm like, "No. How why how do you know about that?" <laughs> I never told you that was okay. Um, usually we'll just start with like one note, two notes, you know, work up. And if we can't do the whole chords, things like that, just right. break it down. Um, right. The most extreme, you know, help I give is just, you know, if you can't play the chord, just don't play it. That's fine. Right. Just make sure you don't miss C when it comes back. Um, yeah, you know. that. yeah, because that B flat's one of those ones. I mean, if you don't want to learn E, or you don't want to learn E flat or A flat, that's fine because you probably won't ever have to play those chords. Mm-hmm. But you can't skip B flat. It's going to show <laughs> up a lot. You have that's to learn B flat. <laughs> it's a stinky chord. I just try to give people a lot of a. Uh, com- I commiserate with them a lot. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm just airplay. Yeah, I mean, it's a good challenge for sure. Um, I think F is a great key for the ukulele. So it's kind of like, yeah. it's just like you said. You need it. You can't get away with. I mean, even E flat is actually. I don't see it often, but it it fits pretty well, like the key itself. Uh, but yeah. still, can't can't forget that B flat. No way. You just can't leave it out. It's <laughs> just one of those chords. I mean, C is the easiest key, but mm-hmm. you can't play in C your whole life. No. I mean, you could. <laughs> You're and missing something. Yeah. You- well, you can do G pretty easily right off the bat. Um, I mean, yeah. I know D is tough, but. I feel like B flat is one of the biggest B-flat challenges. Yeah. Um, it's the toughest quote unquote necessary chord. Unless you play with guitars a lot, then definitely E. Um, Cause uh, 
guitarists don't like changing their tuning often. No, they don't. <laughs> they do not. Yeah. But anyway, just get a baritone and then you can play e easily. <laughs> yeah, get a baritone, you do just fine. And then B flat is probably more difficult on the baritone. Yeah. So you're just going to have that challenge. Just learn B flat quickly. <laughs> you get it done. So I was wondering, as a teacher, um, you find yourself with uh, a lot of students often or not so many? What What is a general like class size you encounter in your journey as well, a teacher? Well, currently, because I'm teaching more online and also in music stores, it's usually 8 to 10. So it's a pretty small group. Oh, but I good. have a class coming up this Tuesday where I'm going to be teaching at a store in my community and they usually have about 30 or 40 people turn out. So it just mm. depends. Yeah. It seems like it's a, a common thing I see with teachers is you, when you start, you get, you know, like the whole school. And then as you get better and you make more money, you get smaller class sizes and you get to spend more time with your students. That's, so that's cool. <laughs> um, I was wondering what is a common beginning difficulty that you see often with your students and how do you help them overcome that? So I'd say the, the very, very, very beginning difficulty that my students had was when we were doing the very first song, Are You Sleeping? And mm -hmm. having the kids keep a steady beat of mm -hmm. a quarter note and not strum with the words. Because ah. they would get to, um, are you sleeping, are you sleeping, Brother John? And they wouldn't do two strums on the word John. Brother mm -hmm. John, but then you get to this. Morning bells are ringing, and they'll strum on each. We'll do eighth note the strums. Note, they would strum faster. Mm -hmm. so that was like at the very beginning to get them to understand kinesthetically the difference between beat and rhythm. And then mm -hmm. they ask you to define it, and that's a hard. That's hard to define. Mm, yeah. So that was the very beginning, beginning thing. And then as we got further along, I would say uh, being able to change chords more quickly. So I start with changing from the F chord to the C7. So learning how to do that change quickly and not take time to move the hands. Mm -hmm. So we would we would work a lot on that and give them uh, some tips for that. And then when we finally got to the G7 chord, learning to do a chord with three fingers, that was a big challenge after we had just done chords with one and two fingers. So those were the kind of the early challenges. Then as you get further along, and you want to teach them how to do bar chords, or how to use, or how to um, use a pinky in a chord. Um, oh. I had one woman who was in her late sixties, and she just didn't have the muscular ability to. She could take her right hand and put her pinky finger down on the ukulele, mm -hmm. but she couldn't do the coordination just with her left hand. Mm -hmm. So for her, she wasn't. She just was. She just decided she wasn't going to do any chords that used four fingers. Mm -hmm. Well, that's yeah, that's a good plan. I mean, you can always just cut them down. Um, just do three strings. Um, yeah. Like the, I was talking to Gerald Ross about uh, the the G shape. You can just keep the yeah. G shape and just slide up and just forget the top string. It's okay. You don't have yeah. to go full. You know, full force. A lot of kids want to do that. Just go crazy. Um, right, and then you can do all your shapes with your three fingers because. Mm -hmm. You know, some people just don't have that coordination or for whatever reason. they need. So you just modify what you're teaching so that they can still play. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I have I have some students who um, we try to go from one finger chords to two finger chords. And some students will just 
refuse. Um, you know, they need a little more time to use two fingers, and that's okay. But at a certain point, it starts to sound a little too weird if it's, you know, everybody's doing the two finger chords by now, and then there's just this one who's like, no, I don't, I'm not going to do it. Why? I just, I don't, I don't want to do it. It's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, those are the times where I wish we really had a bass because if we had a really strong tonal center, it wouldn't be so weird <laughs> to have all these weird extra, you know, seconds and nines and whatever else you can fit in there. Um, right. and, <laughs> um, so you had, we talked a little bit about a student who's really advanced and what you do. I was wondering if you have um, any more experiences about with students that they want to play less but they skill wise they can play more complicated things i was wondering how do you deal with that as a teacher do you know what i'm talking what? about rephrase that i didn't understand okay <laughs> so we talked a little bit about students who are more advanced and you right. give them more challenges um, but i was wondering if you ever have students that technically can play more complicated stuff, but they really just want to play less. For example, they can play the melody, but all they want to do is play the chords. Um, I find that that can be kind of infectious, and then suddenly you have more people strumming than playing the melody. Um, do you ever have that experience, and how do you deal with that? Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll address it more from sort of a classroom management kind of thing in the sense that I had some kids that uh, could have played more, but they were more interested in just kind of doing air guitar and being mm -hmm. cool and <laughs> kind of messing the thing up. Um, with a particular group that was very silly at one point, this was my strategy. I gave these boys a detention, which Ooh. meant they had to come in during their lunch. And then I taught them how to do it. But they had so much fun in the detention because <laughs> they really were craving um they were craving attention they were craving mm. a teacher to really just sort of not scold them but but pay attention to them and enjoy them and so this one boy he just had a, a real dickens of a time playing the g7 course so we spent time in the quote-unquote detention it was his lunch in teaching him how to do the G7 chord. So once he could do that, he would, he didn't feel like he needed to mess up the class as much. Mm. But then he and his friends kept wanting to come for detention because they had <laughs> so much fun. And then, and they would just come in and eat, eat lunch with me for days on end. Mm. And But that kind of took care of the situation because it was really more of an underlying need for attention. Yeah, I don't know if that really answers the question no so i much. think it does yeah that's great I, I find that kids are very simple but they don't always know what they need like they can't always verbalize it so yeah no, they can't you give them a t extra attention it's like okay he's fine <laughs> right no you just you give them you give them what they're asking for but but the thing is they're not sophisticated enough yet to verbalize mm -hmm. i just want somebody to see me for who i am yeah and i want one to enjoy me and someone to um, accept me mm -hmm. as a kid who really doesn't want to do a lot of academic stuff, but I really love to sort of mess around and, and enjoy my humor. Mm -hmm. And you give that person that, but not in the classroom because it would destroy the class, but you give it to them outside the class and you make an effort to get to know that child better and your behavior problems go away. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I've been following this 
teacher on Twitter for a while. Um, I believe it's Teach Mr. Reed. Um, and that's one of the recurring themes that I love. And I, d- I feel like I don't see it enough from teachers. It's just, you know, make a personal connection with your kids. And uh, it, it goes so far. Uh, I see that with my own kids as a parent. It's just, you know, when you really can focus 100% on them, so many, so many problems just go away. So many little, you know, acting ups or whatever. Uh, it's amazing. So that's great advice. If you need, um, if you have problems with your students, just focus on them a little more and figure it out. And uh, it'll probably go away, I guess. Yeah, for the most part, it doesn't go away perfectly. But, you know, kids are seeking attention. And if they can't get it in a positive light, they'll go for a negative. Because the attention is what they want. Hmm. Yeah. So you give them the attention that they need and tell them, and basically you don't even need to say it, but you let them know through your kindness and that you focus on them, that you care about what's going on. You make them feel safe and then they're mm. going to cooperate. With I mean, not always, but they're more likely to cooperate. That's true. That's true. It's not always going to work, but as the great uh, philosopher Jagger once said, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. <laughs> yeah. Jenny, it's been great talking to you. Is there anything else coming up um, that you want people to really know about? I know you mentioned the 21 Easy Ukulele Hymns that you're working on. Uh, is there anything else that we should know about? Well, we do have a special gift for people who listen to this podcast. Ooh. If you go to ukulele.io, backslash, no, forward slash podcast. It'll be in the show notes, ukulele.io forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, we have a PDF of 10 two-chord songs. And so it's a fun way. All of these songs have um, taps, so you can play the melody of them. They're all up to C7, so they're relatively easy, but you can experiment with playing the melody. You can experiment with different strumming patterns. Some of the strumming patterns are written out, some of the more confusing ones. And it just gives you an opportunity to kind of sample some of the materials that are in our books and decide whether this would be something you might want to pursue by purchasing some of our books. Our books are all available on Amazon. Ukulele for All is available on Amazon. It's also available through music stores. The um, 21 Songs books are available on Amazon. But we wanted to give people an opportunity to sample some of our materials just to see if it's for them. And so I think that was the only other thing I really wanted to add. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that. So, uh, listener, please check out the show notes for that two-chord song sheet. I love two-chord songs. It's so yeah, much awesome. It's so much easier to play than anything else. Um, you yep. know, sometimes you just want to you just want to not really think about <laughs> what your hands are doing. You just want to have fun. So that's perfect. Right. And they could all easily be used in a school setting or they could be used in a setting with people who are new to the instrument. And if you're new to teaching or you just want a whole bunch of material where you can, you know, get people really. Because one of the cool things about ukulele is that it's not that loud. Mm-hmm. So you can sing and everybody can play. And it, it creates such a wonderful ensemble experience. It's, I mean, yes, you can play and sing it by yourself. But. It's just awesome in a, in a group. And so uh, the two-chord songs are the kind of thing that it gets the group cohesion going. Yeah, that was great. Um, I have not been able to try these firsthand. I'm really excited to. Um, I've been kind of looking for a, 
um, you know, a new friend to just kind of throw these books at and just teach them and see see what it's like. I've been looking through them myself, but um, you know, personally, I'm kind of beyond the skill level. <laughs> not yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah. not to toot my own horn, but <laughs> I'm oh, really yeah. excited I- about these books for for students, and I can't wait for a you know a guinea pig to <laughs> to test these right. on. So. Um, yeah, no, these are not, these are big, this is beginning material, mm-hmm. but uh, here's something that one of our, some of our fans has said, um, some, because we have a YouTube channel too, she says, I love your tutorials, they're probably the easiest to follow, she thinks our series is the most accessible of all the ones that I own, and this was one that I really liked, um, it was a grandmother who wrote in, she said, I bought the Christmas book, and we play together and love your Christmas book. We will buy some of your others in the near future. My granddaughter plays the melody and I strum the chords. And then we have duets. Oh, that so is so great. It's a really nice thing for families to do together and for friends to do together and, you know, that kind of stuff. And the music relative is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. So you can just get to the joy and get to the fun right away. But then we try to give you cool things to do with the easy material so that you're still learning and still challenging yourself. Mm-hmm. That's great. It kind of reminds me of um, in the old days when you'd gather around the piano as a family, and that was your entertainment. Um, I used to love that. <laughs> as a as a like a culture, maybe as a society, I really wish I had experienced more just music around, other than the radio. And um, yeah, so this is great. It's it's all building towards that. Yeah, I think it's so critical i've i've read in various places how singing even if you're not you don't feel you're a good singer but how singing is just good for you Mm -hmm. especially in a choir because everybody breathes at the same time everybody says their words at the same time and it tends to create when everybody's breathing together it creates a sense of community Mm -hmm. well i don't know if you know this but i am one of the biggest choir nerds i absolutely love choir um, I've been singing choirs for such a long time. I believe if you can speak, you can sing. So I believe yeah, those I... words are so true. If uh, even if you're bad at singing, just sing, and it's a it's gonna be amazing. Don't worry. <laughs> no, it's gonna be amazing. And with ukulele playing the chords, it gives you pitch center, and your hands are involved too. It's a whole body experience, a whole brain experience. It's just an awesome thing. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, Jenny, I could probably talk to you all day about all things ukulele, but um, unfortunately, we do not have time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you so much for talking to me, and um, I hope to meet you someday in person, maybe at the Allegheny Ukulele Soiree next year. I would love to do that. I'll be there whether I'm teaching or playing or not. They cannot get rid of me now. <laughs> <laughs> um Again, Jenny, it's been great talking to you and uh, hope to meet you soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Well, that does it for this episode. Huge thanks to my guest, Jenny Peters. You can find out more information about her and all that she does at ukulele.io. If you're interested in the free gift that she mentioned for listeners of the show, the link is in the show notes. I also want to thank you, my listener, for hanging out with us today. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. And if you enjoy this podcast and want to help it grow, I want to ask you to please consider becoming a sustaining member through the tip jar. As always, thank you for listening, sharing with your friends, leaving reviews, and reaching out. 
I really do appreciate you taking the time to help us share and spread the joy and aloha of the ukulele. I'll talk to you next time. Aloha. Ooh, mm-hmm.